Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. In today's episode, I am going to share with you a piece I wrote after my husband, Mike, who is the most amazing man I, I know, decided to participate in a Peckborough race before we ever even moved to Leadville. It's called Everybody Loves a Donkey Tail. Tail is spelled T-A-L-E. I wrote it after his 2005 Leadville race, and it was published in the Colorado Central Magazine in January 2006. So stay tuned. It's a crazy-ass tale. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Here's how the story goes. He's looking for a nice ass. Not just any ass. A wild ass won't do. Neither will a wise ass. Really, what he's dreaming about is a healthy little burrow that won't mind hauling his equipment for him while he's trotting around doing adventure races. This is a tale of Mike's dream and an event unlike any other I have experienced. Merely a spectator, I nevertheless ended up completely immersed in the curious world of Packborough racing, and I must attempt to write something noble from three days of activities that scream to be made fun of. The 22-mile Leadville International Packborough Race in August was hosted by the Western Packborough Association, hyphenations, not mine, and I'm still trying to assimilate the whole weekend. The diversity of ages and sizes of both competitors and their furry partners was astounding. And, well, you see how I could start to get ridiculous with this whole donkey tale. But I don't want to write a silly-ass story. I want to write a story that will explain why I had tears in my eyes at the award ceremony. I won't bore you with the details of the miscommunication between two political and Packborough race rivals, legends in both life and in borough racing. Curtis Emery, the piercing, blue-eyed, not-quite-sixty-year-old, quote, declassed gentleman, unquote, from whom we rented Mike's racing partner, and Ken Clober, who on May 5th, 2004, retired from the Colorado General Assembly as, quote, one of the Senate's most colorful members. I will tell you that Mike had arranged to rent a borough from Curtis a few weeks before the race, exchanging fax and phone messages, most of which came back with a, you're crazy to be jumping into this race cold turkey, overtone. And Curtis had sent Mike's burrow to Leadville with another for Ken to race with. So when I called Ken to arrange a meeting and his first question was, So when are you picking her up? And I quickly tried to assess if the dog-friendly Leadville hostel might be able to squeeze a 900-pound burrow in one of the larger common rooms. 
I really began to have some concerns about this crazy-ass weekend. Although Ken tried very hard to be a grouchy old man, he soon realized that I was simply following instructions and promised not to open up the gates and smack Mike's ass. Whew. At that point, we did not know that the reason Ken was racing with one of Curtis's burrows was because he had just lost his buddy and racing partner of 28 years, his burrow, Mork. We arrived at the Leadville 100 race office and saw the burrow-filled trailer outside and entered the office in time to see Ken descending the stairway, wild hair escaping his baseball cap, tanned muscular legs and arms hanging out of short shorts, and a cut-off t-shirt wielding a King Henry VIII-sized turkey leg. Did I mention colorful? And the fun began uh, to explain why he was holding a Henry VIII-sized turkey leg was because this borough race happens during Boom Days weekend, which is the first weekend in August in Leadville, and it's a celebration of the Wild West and mining events. So, uh, yeah, that's where he got the turkey leg. Anyway, he was quite a sight coming down the stairs. Helping to feed and water the donkeys gave us our first hands-on experience with the animals and our first real glimpse of both their power and their gentleness. What's her name? I asked, wanting to ensure that Mike had all the tools he needed to bond with his new racing partner. Oh, I don't know, it's Erin or Dottie or something like that, but the only name you'll be calling her during the race is you son of a bit. That was Ken. Turns out her name was Erin Dottie, but Ken's name was easier to remember. Ken then decided that he would show Mike the ropes by having him run with his partner in the Leadville Boom Days kickoff 10K race the next morning. Uh, and to explain just a little bit more here, these pack borough races, you're running with the borough, you're not riding them. So you're having to perhaps coax and cajole a very large animal. <laughs> a bit concerned, I asked Ken... Are you sure it's okay to be running that race with Burroughs? Seemed like a reasonable concern. After all, the pack borough race wasn't until Sunday. But lessons were aplenty, and we soon learned that, quote, This is Leadville. We can do whatever the hell we want to do. All righty, then. The race began amidst cheers, pointing, and laughter. And when it ended, I heard how Mike's partner, this was Dottie, Aaron Dottie, the the uh, the borough, was a great out-front runner, but should then wait for the others to catch up. We hoped it wasn't an omen for the big race the next day, a day which arrived with no time for parades or petulant race partners. This was when it all had to come together, the hours of research, the months of dreaming, the half-day of actually practicing with your animal. By now, I was agreeing with Curtis. Mike was crazy. Mike had to register at 9 a.m., but the race didn't start until 11 a.m., and while two hours might sound like a lot of time to throw a saddle on a donkey and get moving, it wasn't all that easy. The mellow donkey from the day before became Hulk-like in both size and attitude when tied up among over a dozen other pre-race burrows, 
half of them braying their horniness for the world to hear, the other half braying in fear? Come hither response? How the hell could I know? All we knew was that Dottie, our new name for Mike's partner, was not the same sweet ass we had handled before. We finally met Curtis Emery, who arrived with a jack whose back reached the top of his head. He shook Mike's hand, then shook his head, re-emphasizing with a twinkle in his eye how crazy it was to be jumping into a 22-mile race with a borrowed burrow. I think he may have recognized a kindred spirit. Having to prepare himself for the race, he wished Mike good luck and arranged for someone to help him with harnessing the saddle. Along with saddle assistance, Mike was given more advice. He learned that when passing another burrow, he should position himself between the two and keep on going, particularly if the other animal happened to be one of the aforementioned Randy beasts. And under no circumstances was he to let any hanky-panky happen along the trail, especially between any of the burrows. So after saddle prep and countless photo shoots with roaming tourists and timid children, it was time. The anticipation of the racers at the start line was palpable for all but one. I watched as Ken moved quietly to the sideline with his animal and knelt in prayer, invisible, I think, to all but me, and I was in the perfect position for the perfect picture. But the moment was over before I discovered why my camera wouldn't work. After removing the lens cap, I was ready for some great action shots, and I reminded myself that some moments deserve more respect than we are willing to give them. The blast from the starting rifle deafened all but the oldest onlookers, and in a flurry of fur, the man-beast teams began their run through town and on to Mosquito Pass. Amazingly, Mike was in the lead as the wild pack rounded the corner to head out of town. I ran up the street to get the perfect picture of the pack as they ran back before heading out of sight. The lead pack was fast and tight, but... Where was Mike? Mike was resaddling Dottie. Evidently, when your partner's saddle falls off, you go from first place to last in two trots. But Dottie looked like she was ready to catch up with her burrow buddies, and Mike was prepared to accommodate her. They made good on their mission to rejoin the racers, and by about mile eight, were running with Ken and looking strong. I knew they were not in the lead at this point, but I also knew that we were in Leadville and anything could happen. I listened with excitement as aid station radios called in race numbers along the way. The leaders came back from the pass astonishingly ahead of all the rest. And for the first time, I knew that my Rentaboro rookie wouldn't be bringing home any gold. As racers became increasingly spread out, I watched as two teams came back from the past together. When they got close enough, I smiled at seeing two men I will always think of as both legends and rivals talking and trotting together. Ken and Curtis, their furry partners finally behaving fairly well, were on their way back to town 
But where was Mike? When he finally made it back from the pass, it was clear that Dottie had lost her trotty, and no amount of cajoling would get her moving any faster than a nonchalant saunter. So, yes, Mike had to drag his ass back to town. I have pictures. I made it back to the Boom Day celebration in time to see several racers cross the finish line, and when I thought Leadville would shut down and roll up its streets, I spotted my crazy husband. He was in surprisingly good spirits, having lived a moment of his dream, but was happy to part with his partner after persuading her across the finish line. My rookie was now an official ass racer. In the dining hall, waiting for the award ceremony to begin, Curtis walked by our table and, shaking his head at Mike, said, You're a maniac. I knew Mike took it as a compliment. So, why the tears? Winners were announced, award money and burrow-faced belt buckles were handed out, and a few people actually took the time to speak. Two men, in what they had to say, will remain in my memory. Ken could not finish what he wanted to express. He tried to thank Curtis for helping him in his time of loss, but after telling the group that heaven must have needed a good donkey, there was no more he could say. I thought back to his silent moment at the start line, and I knew that it was not for a win that he was praying. I could not presume to understand what he was feeling, but it was real, and it was raw, and it wrenched at my heart. Then it was Curtis's turn, and after talking about how the small Packboro race community has had its disagreements and personality clashes, he came back to the fact that when you get right down to it, we all drink at the same watering hole. There was no rivalry here. There was respect and an understanding that can only come from a brotherhood of like-spirited individuals. These were men who lived hard, who laughed and cursed, and didn't care who they offended, who inspired other men to say, wow, out loud, who put themselves second to those who could be first, who cried and knelt in prayer in public and were no less men for doing so. These were men who gave me the gift of being part of an experience that opened my eyes to a whole new world, one with old world ideals and an unbridled passion for life. Wow, (laughs) I actually choked up a little bit there remembering that event. It It was stunning. And I suppose another reason I choked up a, a little bit there, too, is because Curtis Imrie died on January 21st, 2017, at the age of 70, as he was preparing to show one of his burrows at the National Western Stock Show, seriously doing what he loved to do. <laughs> Amazing. I'll have links to some of the articles about Curtis. He was a character indeed. 
I did some local acting with him. My friend Carol Bellhouse wrote a series of plays, and they're available on Amazon, and one of them I performed with Curtis. And if you haven't yet listened to my interview with Ken Klober about the Leadville Race series, you should check that out too. I'll have a link to that one. And Ken will be 80 years old in January, and he still has amazing goals. Listen to the podcast episode, and and, uh, you'll be amazed at what he's done in his life and what he still continues to do. So yes, I've got to say that living with Wild West men and learning about the, the code of the West has been quite inspirational for me. I've learned a lot going from being a Boston suburbanite to a lead villain. And I know I'm supposed to say that we're lead villains, but I like lead villains better and it works better with my story. So I sure would like to know what you think about this crazy ass story and some of the things I've shared with you so far. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at leadvillelaurel.com. You can find me on Twitter at leadvillelaurel and on Facebook by the same name. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends about it. I hope you'll support my work on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash alligatorpreserves. Throw me a dollar a month or for $3 a month, you're going to get a unique short story that I've created and narrated each month. I've got six already out there. Check out some other rewards you will receive and join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. Let's see. I think people doing Packboro races would spread Packboro butter on their toast in the morning. I'm just going to make that claim and stick with it. Until next time, maybe think about sharing one of your crazy-ass stories with me. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard, with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.